Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 19 is where we'll be. One of the things about me is I'm prone to push my resume out there. I'll give you an example. My wife's like, your turning signal's been on for 15 minutes. To which I would respond, I've been driving for 20 years. <laughs> you know, like that's it. Uh, and I'm prone to leave my turning signal on for many, through many dangers, toils, and snares. But in the middle of that, I began to drive. Um, I was taught in a 1985 Chevy Silverado with a lift, fire engine red. But, you know, the boxy kind that you pay about $100,000 for now. Like that, that's what I drove in. And Dad took me up Cave Run Lake Road. Some of you all go camping there around that neighborhood. And he took me out on Cave Run Lake Road there in Moorhead, Round County, and uh, it's curvy and hilly, so uh, let's up the ante on this boy's driving. So dad said I did the county a really big favor when he taught me how to drive. I cleaned out the ditches with the tires in that Chevy Silverado because I was scared to death of a head-on collision, so I had a head-on collision with both ditches. You know, like we couldn't stay on the road, but we, we cleaned the ditches out on both sides. That is uh, how I learned to drive. At first, I was in the ditch. I say all of that because as we look at Acts chapter 15, um, we learned last week that someone is a Christian not because of something they have done, but because of something that Jesus has done. And that is the road that we travel as pilgrims in this world. But on that road, there are ditches on both sides. On one, and we talked about one ditch last week, and that being moralism. That being, or, or legalism, that there's something that you can do to make God pleased with you in order to save you. That's legalism. And that's the ditch. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that you can do something to make God pleased with you. That is the ditch of legalism. Today, we look at the opposite ditch. The opposite ditch being lawlessness, meaning that God has saved you, so therefore that gives you some type of license to do whatever you want. Some license to live however you want. That is what happens in the second half of Acts chapter 15. In or, and, and so how we come to this, to understand this, is the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, they determined that the Gentiles didn't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. There weren't religious things that they had to do for God to save them, but they will be saved by grace through faith like the rest of us, is the gist that we get thus far in Acts 15. In response to the false teachers, the elders and apostles got together and decided that God has clearly revealed that salvation comes through faith. 
without prior qualification on our part. Now, beginning in verse 19 that we see today, we see James, the apostle's judgment, that God saves us solely by His grace apart from any goodness or holiness in us, yet upon salvation, He demands holiness and obedience from us. So what that means is is that your salvation should lead to certain actions. Your salvation wasn't caused by your actions, but it should lead to actions. One of the Puritans said that our justification, I think it was one of the Puritans, let's just say it was, right? Uh, That our justification, our salvation, uh, our, our justification that we are right before God is followed by holiness like night follows day. It's followed like night follows day. So our sanctification should follow our justification just like that. So verse 22 says, It seemed good for the apostles and the elders and with the whole church to send this judgment of theirs to Antioch. So this letter is what we look at, and it summarized both their decision-making process and the decisions that they made. Because it says, it seemed good to them, to the Holy Spirit, to lay on them no greater burden. So as a side note, this is how they made a decision. This is the pattern for us making a decision as well in this. So there's a plurality of elders that, Acts 6, someone brought something to the elders, or the elders are aware of a problem, and they say, this is what we should do. And the church got together and said, these guys aren't crazy. Let's go. That's what happens here in Acts 15, and that's the model that we pattern our decision-making after here in, uh, at Farmdale. So let's look at the three ways that we ought to live in light of the gospel based on this judgment and decision of the early church. So notice verse 19 with me. Let's look at it together. He says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So since we have been saved by faith alone, we must be pure in worship. That's the first category of the three categories that we see in the decision handed down by the Jerusalem Council. So James tells them to abstain from things polluted by idols. So this is talking about purity in worship. Purity in worship. Likely referring to the food sold at temple meat markets left over from idol worship. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul deals with this He tells him to stay away from what is specifically tied to idol worship for the sake of others' consciences. There's there's nothing inherently evil in this. Um, The problem is their association with idols. And and I've tried this before. Like, I've made this joke. I, I was eating at, like, Taco Bell or Arby's, and I was like, that food was sacrificed to an idol, and nobody, nobody cared, you know? They didn't, think it was, they didn't think it was funny. You know, I, I was the only one laughing, but I was selfishly doing it for me and not for them. So this doesn't necessarily transfer to us in the same way, but the general principle does that there is not a lot inherently wrong with possessions, food, or drink 
The issue is when the good things turn into God things. There's a reason that in the, fir- the first thing the Christian should abstain from um, is this, in dealing with idols and worship, Martin Luther points out that the Ten Commandments begin with two commandments against idolatry. Two commandments against idolatry. It's because the fundamental problem with sinning is always idolatry. In other words, we never break the other commandments without breaking these first. Right? We don't do anything else. We don't do anything wrong. We don't sin in our life without first worshiping something other than the true God. All sin stems from false worship. So false worship means that we're giving something to love, attention, adoration, focus that is due only to God. That's what it is. That means building our life and our meaning and our significance from something or someone other than God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us. It'll wake us up in the morning. It'll lay us down. It'll wake us up in the middle of the night. It's what we'll live for. I read in the news a while back that India had twice as many malnourished children as sub-Saharan Africa in the country of India. According to UNICEF, 51% of their children under five are stunted in their growth. So there's a lot of starvation going on in India. And the problem isn't that they, that they don't have food. Uh, the problem is, is that they worship things associated with cows. So each cow could feed seven people. But instead of killing the cow or using the cow, they feed the cow because the Hindu religion teaches reincarnation in the form of animals. So it's against the religious laws to kill rats, mice, cows, and other animals. Now, there are 200 million sacred cows in India. I don't know if you knew that. If they would just stop feeding the cows, they'd have enough food to feed one-fourth of the entire world's population. One-fourth, not of their population, but the world's population, if they gave up these sacred cows. So they are feeding things that's literally starving them. So the question is for us, when we realize that we've been saved by faith alone, for pure worship... Is there something that we're feeding that's starving us spiritually? Is there something we're feeding that's literally starving us? What are we propping up that might lead us, leave us empty? And you've seen this. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't been around Frankfurt, Lawrenceburg, but Eastern Kentucky. It's the guy with the $200,000 $200,000 truck in, parked outside of his single wide trailer. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing, right? He's living in poverty to drive this truck. They don't probably have that around here, right? Their house is on blocks and their truck is not. Um, 
But this, this is what a lot of our spiritual lives look like, that we're living in spiritual poverty so we can impress people with what? Or with who? To be clear, we, our ability to worship God is not what saved us. Our ability to be pure in worship is not what saved us. This is the outworking of trusting in Christ is worship. Because if we, we worship the right thing, we would not need trust in Christ. So if I asked you, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you literally starving yourself to feed and things start popping up, people, faces stop, start popping up to say that if that were gone out of my life, then I would be crippled. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine stopping this activity or not being involved in that. What would it be? See, that, whatever that is, right, that you think of when I go, well, what, 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 what do you really, what's your thing? What's your thing, you know? Like, what do you do? Whatever that is. It's likely it's in the way. Doesn't mean it has to go away, right? Like if your if your kids, what you worship and what you live for, don't kill them. Public service announcement: Don't kill them. If your spouse is your idol, don't kill them. It's illegal. Don't do it. This isn't. So some things we just can't get out of our life. Some things we just need out of our life. That's why we live in a house on blocks because our trucks. Monstrous. Like, no, that some things have to stay around, but they, they cannot be what props us up, what justifies our existence. So, since we've been saved by faith alone, we must be pure in worship. Not only that, right? So, if we have this relationship right with God and worship, secondly, we would be pure in our relationships horizontally as opposed to vertically. We see that in the second half of verse 20. It's the second thing that James tells them, the category here, is to stay away from sexual immorality. And the word he uses is porneia. And you could sound it out and figure out what it's about. Um, But this is talking about any sexual act or deed that occurs outside of the one husband, one wife, together for one life. That is what it is. Anything that's outside of that is what we are, as Christians, have been urged to stay away from. And again, your ability to not fornicate is not why God saved you. We keep going back to that. We are not a Christian because we do not fornicate. We are a Christian because we've been saved by faith alone. And because we've been saved by faith alone, we must be pure in our relationships. In our relationships. And the thing is, from an Old Testament and Jewish perspective, this included prostitution, extramarital fornication, incest, bestiality, homosexual relationships, adultery, and incest. Now, in the day that Luke wrote this thing right here, Prostitution, fornication, and homosexual relationships were acceptable or at least tolerated behavior. So don't don't think that we're transferring this into a culture that is 
somehow wildly different than the one that it was written in. No, that, that thing's kind of been going on for a long time. But with us, it's the air our culture breathes. I heard years ago the, of a researcher of a major university that um, tried to study the effects of pornography on um, men, young men that were at this college that he researched at. And, and for his research, he needed to find a control group of people that were not involved. And there was no control group for people that weren't involved. They couldn't find one. There was no control group to compare it to. One preacher said that, uh, involved with the seminary over here in Louisville, that they, they no longer ask the, the students at seminary, if you've seen it, they ask, when's the last time that you watched it? They ask, when's the last time? That's how, that's how it is in this world. And you go, no, this, yes, that's how it is. That's it. And the problem is, because we've been saved by faith, we can't have any part of that. We can't have any part of that stuff. And we've fought this since day one as a church. In the early days of the Christian church, Christians were charged with sedition because they didn't worship the Roman gods. They're slanderously accused of incest because they called one another brother and sister, and they loved their brother, um, and they met in private because of the persecution. So, to answer these critics, Justin exhorted Emperor Antonius Pius to look at how the Christians live. That's what he said. We're getting all this slander in the early church. So Justin Martyr um, exhorted the emperor, look at how they live. And he urged them, study Christian sexual behavior for the believer's upright purity to prove that this is that Christianity is a good thing. Look at how pure we are. See, it's a good thing. That's how that it went on in the first century. But let's say that we were uh, pressured by a, a, an outside watching world it today. And one of us was like, Christianity is a good thing. Look at our browser histories and how they're different than other people's browser histories. Look at the stuff that we watch, the kind of movies that we watch, and see how they're different than the, the movies that other people watch. Right? Look at how we're different. See, Christianity's a good thing. Look at how sexually pure our people are. See? What if we did that now? What would that be like for us? If our genuineness depended on our sexual purity, would anybody think that we were a legitimate Christian afterwards? Would they? You see, we're not saved because of that. Because we've been saved by faith, that's how we ought to live. That's it. We need to take whatever steps necessary to get this right in our life. Whatever it is, right? We've got to be real careful, real careful with these things. Right? I'm not telling you to that you being pure in your relationship is, is why God saved you. No, I'm just saying God has saved you, so be really careful in your relationships. 
Be real careful. Be real careful with texting and phone calls and being alone with somebody of the opposite sex. Be real careful with that. Be really careful with that. It's dangerous, my friends. And if I were a legalist, I, I would, we would have some kind of checklist and I would say that you can't be on a phone call with somebody that you're not married to and you, you can't. I'm not placing rules upon you. So I'm telling you, be careful with this stuff. He's saying because they've been saved, this is how they ought to live. And one of them is purity in relationships. It's one of them. So we need repentance and accountability in these areas, right? Because we need to make sure that we are worshiping only God and God alone and careful how we're treating people we are married to and people we're not married to in these relationships. As one pastor put it, you can grab titles and accolades and participate in this sin of fornication, right? And you're not even at square one of what it means to be a Christian. Not even at square one if this is not right. If you're not pure in your relationships, you haven't begun at the foundational level of what it means to be a Christian. Because that's what he's laying out here, right? Worship only God. Eyes for your, only for your spouse. Or if you're single, eyes off of everybody else's spouses. These are the foundational building blocks of how Christians ought to live because we've been saved by faith. That's what they lay out for us. So some of us need to grab a trusted, mature believer and ask him to help us because we fool ourselves that we can, we can get through this if this is what we're struggling with. If this is what we're struggling with, right, if this is the area that we struggle with, the biggest lie as, as someone who has been a youth pastor for years and walked out of uh, impurity and walked with others out of impurity. Like the biggest lie in this area is that you can do it by yourself. That's the biggest lie is that you don't need anybody else holding you accountable. You do. You need help. You need help in this. So since we've been saved by faith, Alone, we must be pure in worship, relationships, and not only that, in conscience. In conscience. Look back at the end of verse 20. It says, And from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So what's happening here is under Jewish ceremonial law, they should refuse to eat the meat of an animal that has been strangled or with its blood not properly drained according to Exodus 22.31 and Leviticus 17.13, if you're curious. The point being, earlier on in the book of Acts, Peter was told that the Lord has made everything clean. So why here in 20 and 21, if God made all the food clean, right? You can eat all any kind of food that you want to eat. You can eat it. But here he's saying to these new Christians who've been saved by faith alone, 
Don't eat stuff that's been strangled and stuff that has blood in it. You shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. Why is he doing that? Well, I'm glad you asked. He gives us the reason in verse 21 that from ancient generations, they've heard Moses read in the synagogue. So the prevailing thought, according to verse 21, is the law of Moses and what Moses says about food that's strangled and food that has the blood in it. So you shouldn't eat food that's been strangled and that has the blood in it because the prevailing thought is the ceremonial food laws at this point. If you notice that, in this verse, he's saying the tradition is what people are ingrained in and to flaunt your freedom in Christ would be wrong. We'd be wrong to do that. So do you notice what's happening here in verse 20 and 21? Well, he told us in the first two categories that you should get your worship pure with God alone. You should have a relationship with your neighbor in which that you are sexually pure with them, right? And then verse 20 and 21, what is he saying here? It's that you should live for the good of your neighbor, regardless of what your freedom says that you could do anyway. Right? He, all the foods are clean, but now it seems like he's bringing them back again and go like, no, don't eat, don't eat stuff that's strangled, but I thought you made all foods clean, so why, why couldn't I eat something that was... Why does it have to be prepared a certain way? Like, it's like you, you gave us this freedom, and now you're limiting our freedom. That's what it could seem like here. But here's the problem. James says you should keep yourself from these things. You will do well. He restates this list in verse 29. And he's saying, keep yourself from this, and you'll do well to do this. Paul addressed the same issue regarding conscience of others in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let one seek his own, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see what he's doing here? This admonishment from Paul goes along with the point James is making in Acts 15. He encourages them to stay away from these things. Could they order their steak medium rare? They should. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's, that's about right. I don't know how you all like it, but that's probably right. Medium rare, maybe medium well. I don't know about you guys. could be controversial. Could they do that? They could. Certainly, they could do a lot of things. But here's what maturity looks like for us and for them. According to 1 Corinthians 10, 23, there's all kinds of things that you can do. But should you do those things? See, that's, that's where maturity comes in, knowing what you could do and knowing what you should do, and that there's a difference sometimes between what you could do and what you should do. That's what maturity looks like. So, we're the same way. We should, there's a lot of things we could do that no one could grab a verse and throw at us and say, see, it doesn't say you shouldn't do this. Yeah, I know, it doesn't. I could do that. 
but should I do that? That's the distinction he's making here. You have the ability to eat anything you want, but your life isn't about only you. Your life is about your neighbor. Your neighbor. So let's apply this to our culture. Let's apply this to our culture. And how might we do that? Well, is there something that is destroying the people around us? Is there something going on that's destroying people around us, that's hurting them, that you could participate in? Let's, let's think of it, if there's something like that. I'm saying there is something like that in regards to alcohol. I think that's something that's hurting a lot of people that we as Christians need to be careful with. Now, could you drink alcohol? Could you drink it at home? Could you drink it in public? Oh, you could. You could. You very well could. Because go to, go to a verse and tell me where it just flat out says that that is a sin. Try to find one for me. I can't find one. Can you? I don't see one. Uh, the closest we can get is Proverbs 21, that wines a mocker and strong drinks a brawler, and whoever is led astray by them is not wise. I'm saying applying something like this to that, we need to be careful. You need to be careful with your use of alcohol. You need to be careful with it. You could do it, but you should be very, very careful with it. I have a friend that looked at the culture and the realization that one in every eight person you know is probably an alcoholic. One in, one in every eight or whatever the statistics are is quite high. Um, it's, it's one in less than 10 is probably an alcoholic that you run into somewhere. So they won't even eat Dijon mustard. They won't even eat Dijon mustard. Now, I said, you guys, everyone should be careful with their alcohol. Um, I won't go as far as to say you should be careful with your mustard. I, I, I don't, I, I, I can't go as, that, I can't go that far. You know, like at one point I had four different kinds of mustard in my fridge, four different kinds. Now, uh, did you know that they put something like wine or alcohol in Dijon mustard? Did you know that? I just know that because I worked with a guy that wouldn't eat Dijon mustard for that very reason. Now, I don't know if he thought I was a liberal for my mustard or not. Um, not sure. I prefer it on... Uh, hot dogs, scrambled eggs, just want to put my card, cards out there. I'm one, I'm one of those. So, But would I eat the Dijon mustard knowing what that guy thinks of it? Would I take a hot dog and warm it up in the microwave at work and eat it in front of him? Would I do that? No, I wouldn't. Could I? Yes, I could. But should I? No, I shouldn't. Why? Because my life is more than about me. More than about me. 
So that's why here in Acts 15, he talks to them about the relationship with God, the relationship with their neighbor, and the relationship in dealing with conscience because those things are the building blocks of the foundational of what it is to be a Christian. is be pure in the way you worship God, be sexually pure, and be careful what you do and participate in that might destroy your neighbor or it might destroy your kids. Just because you can handle something doesn't mean that someone else has that same ability because they don't. So be careful. Right? Am I saying don't drink alcohol? I'm saying be careful. Be careful with it. Proverbs 20 says if you are led astray by it, you're unwise. It's like anything else. You tolerate it, somebody's going to celebrate it, and eventually it's just going to swallow somebody. Now, I don't know about you, but in most churches, they, they have like a dozen sermons and they just rotate them in, in them and out, in and out. And, and most of the sermons that I've ever heard sound like this. Don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, or hang out with girls that do. Have you ever heard one of those sermons? And it is in one of those don't cuss, drink, smoke, chew, or hang out with girls that do in those sermons. That's just what it's like, right? Just open the Bible to John 3.16. Don't cuss, drink, swear, or chew, or hang out with girls that do. Don't do that. God loves the world. He gave His Son. Don't drink. (laughs) But whoever believes in Him should not perish. Don't smoke. He'll give you everlasting life if you don't chew. And that's normally how things go. That's normally in the the jukebox of the sermons in our culture, right? They know that the outside world is being just ravaged with substances, substance abuse all over the place. So whatever verse, make a beeline to that and go, stop it. Stop it. But what are we doing here? What are we doing now? We are in Acts chapter 15, in which his whole point of all of this is you have been saved by faith. Therefore, your life has been transformed by this gospel for you to be able to live in certain ways. Not don't do any of these things and God's going to give you an eternal passing grade on on your report card. Or this will make your eternal credit score 800. And then he lets you in. Then he lets you in. No, that's not what this is at all. What this is, is just a reminder, is that you have been saved, not by anything you did, right? You didn't get saved by your abstinence of the substances that the culture abuses. You didn't get, you weren't saved by that, right? Because what, what do we not talk about all the time? Gluttony. Right? We'll go, like, and what does the alcoholic come back? Gluttony. What about fat preachers? And what about people eating, gorging themselves in our culture? And that normally is somebody that abuses another substance and they push it back at you. But you know what? All of those things, right? Because someone is not a glutton, God is not pleased with them to save them because they don't glutton themselves. All of this discussion, whatever you want to fill in the blank with there, We need to be careful with how we 
use substances with, even with how we eat, how we drink, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of yourself. No. No, that's not it. That's not even it. No, we do it for the glory of God. And, and we do it with transformed lives because we have been saved by faith alone. So I don't mind those. I, I wouldn't mind a, a, a don't drink, smoke, cuss, chew, or hang out with girls that do sermon if, if they anchored it in the gospel and they said, this is how your life ought to be transformed. Transforming our lives in all of those ways. God, because you've saved us by faith alone, change what we watch on TV, change what we put in our mouths, what goes down into our bellies, change it all. Because it's been anchored in the gospel. That's what we do. That's how we would do it. So we ought to be careful with all of these things because they are ways that we ought to, our lives ought to be changed because we've been saved by faith alone. So if you look down here at the text, uh, it, it tells us that they uh, rejoiced when they heard this. Verse 31 says, and when they read it, so it gives us the letter, restatement of that in 22 through 30, of those three categories. When, when they heard it in verse 31, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. So that's how you know, my friends, that he didn't just go there and tell them to stop it. Stop doing these things. Don't do the things that the culture does. Don't indulge the same way that the culture does. Don't do that. That's, that's not a cause to rejoice. That's a list to keep. That's not a cause to rejoice. No. No, no. You know why they rejoiced? Because it was anchored in the gospel that you have been given grace. You've been given grace. You got to be careful with these three things, guys, because of the grace that you've been given. You've been saved by faith alone. So these things ought to be pure in your life. You can't live any way you want to live. I mean, you kind of can, right? God gave you a, a new heart. So live as much and as far and with whatever that that new heart desires, as long as those are new heart desires. So that's how we know that this isn't just like cold list keeping. Like, guys, you need to be, you need to worship God alone. And I, and I see your boats. You know, war, you have idols. How many of y'all sit up and watch that game? You all have like, okay, we, we could do that. And it would just beat us down. You go, man, I should have uh, stayed up late praying instead of watching Kentucky get beat by Kansas. Like, I, I should have. I shouldn't have had that to drink last night. I probably should have just fasted. Probably shouldn't enjoy anything in life. No, no, that's not what this is. They, were, they rejoiced when they heard that, that they've been given grace and saved. Because that's, 
The context goes all the way back to verse 15. So everything we said last week is true. And now your life ought to be changed and you should be pure in your worship and and in your relationships and in your conscience of others. And they rejoiced in this. Because what is this? It's grace that you've been given that ought to be coming out in your life. It is a cause for encouragement and rejoicing. And for us, certainly, it is a cause for us to look at our lives Look at these three areas and the holiness that God requires therein to see if we need to be changed in these ways. And it's interesting that he would give us these three categories because they're our biggest problems. They're our biggest problems in the world. Our biggest problem was that we worshipped ourselves instead of God and every other God that we set up. That is, as I said, that was the default setting of the, the human heart. Not just performance before God, but making ourselves God. We worshipped whatever we wanted to. Some of us are here now worshipping ourselves, making our schedules, micromanaging our lives, doing whatever we want. And we didn't worry about purity in relationships. We did literally whatever we wanted. And we didn't worry about what, it, what our actions looked like, pictures that we posted and things that we said and things that we did publicly. We weren't worried about any of those things. We're drinking it all in like, like that. We drunk all that sin in like it was water. Like Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, we drank it all in like it was water. It went down easy. We weren't worried about any of that. And then something happened. We were headed to hell with a full tank of gas because we worshipped whatever we wanted. We fornicated, thought about, wished we could fornicate with whatever we wanted. We didn't care what anybody else thought about how we lived and the things we did, and the things we celebrated, we didn't care about that. We didn't live for our neighbor at all. He could be slaughtered around us, and we're fine with it. Why? Because we worship ourselves instead of the God who tells us to get our minds off of ourselves. It was in this sin, it was in this sin, that God became a man in the person of Jesus and stepped into this. He stepped into this. And he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He was pure in his relationships. He was pure in his worship. And he worried about the consciences of others. He did that. And you know what we did? We nailed him to a cross. He died on the cross for our sin. We put him in the grave. Because you can't tell us what to do. And three days later, he got up from the grave and he rose from the dead, literally alive after death. Not figuratively or philosophically, literally alive after death. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's making intercession for us who's struggling to... (laughs) to 
be pure in our worship relationships and conscience. But more so than that, he reigns victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and everything in between, and everyone in between. And he commands us all to turn from worshiping whatever we want to worship the one true God for impurity in our relationships, to turn from that to disregarding our neighbor in his conscience, to turn from that and trust solely in him who could do all of those things for us in our place. He calls us to turn from that and trust solely in Him. If you're not a Christian today, you couldn't possibly keep a list of what God wanted you to do. Jesus kept it. And He died on on the cross and He rose. And He commands that you turn and bank your entire life on Him alone. If you are a Christian and you look at these things and you hear these things, and maybe you argue against them, Could it be because of sin that you let remain and you're not ready to ditch the ditch of lawlessness? But I would encourage us because if if I'm talking Christian to Christian and you have been saved by faith, be careful about these things. Careful about how you handle them. These are the building blocks and the foundation of you being a Christian is that you worship God alone. And you have purity in your relationships and you have purity in your conscience and the conscience of your neighbors. You're worried about them and you, you act differently because of them. But ultimately you act different because of him. So let's repent of selfishness and idolatry and everything in between. And whatever the Lord specifically directs you to according to these scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, look at this challenged because they were encouraged by how you told them to live in light of the gospel. We might be convicted, but I ask that you would encourage us that you have laid out for us a way to live in light of the gospel that transforms us. So we pray, transform us all the more, change our hearts, help us to obey you, to live before you in a way that pleases you. Save those among us, God, that don't know you. In Jesus' name, amen.